Welcome to the show. From All Good Tales, it's Media Moments, a show about those strange, weird, unique and often bizarre times when the world changed forever in an instant. I'm Jack Murray. In this episode, the extraordinary story of a kidnapping and how it created a media moment that would change the world forever. If you were faced with an extraordinary situation and your safety was on the line, how would you react? Would you rebel and try and break free? Or would you do what it would take to survive, no matter what that was? And when it was all over, would people believe the lengths you had to go to to stay alive? This is about one of those moments. On the 15th of April 1974, it was a quiet Monday morning in the Sunset District of San Francisco. Locals were going about their day as usual. Nearing 10am, Rudy Renzi, a worker at the White Lumber Yard, decided to make his way over to the Hibernia Bank on Noriega Street. As he reached the bank, he saw two men being shot in front of him. To avoid becoming involved in what was happening, he swan-dived over a nearby fence. What Rudy didn't know as he left the lumber yard for the bank that morning was that five members of the terrorist group, the Symbionese Liberation Army, or SLA, had entered the bank brandishing assault rifles. The SLA were a small group of militant revolutionaries committed to the fight against fascism. Their motto read, Debt to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people. During their five minutes in the bank, the group stole over $10,000 and shot two people. Despite a police perimeter, they escaped in a waiting getaway car. The CCTV footage of the robbery soon made it into the media. Broadcast and published around the world was the grainy picture of one of the robbers. Brandishing a semi-automatic rifle and shouting commands at the bank customers was the unmistakable image of the 19-year-old Patricia Hurst, an American newspaper heiress who'd been kidnapped by the terror group, the SLA, two months earlier. The FBI and Patty's family quickly defended Hurst stating that she must have been forced to take part. She is still a kidnap victim. She was taken away against her will. And psychologically, she's a victim of thought control by terrorists. And all I can do is hope and pray that God will bring her home again. I hope she'll give herself up too. But at this point in time, I don't believe that she's going to give herself up just to come home. But as far as many were concerned, she was no longer an innocent kidnap victim. Patty Hurst was now a common criminal. But more of that later. Patricia Hurst is the granddaughter of William Randolph Hurst, a billionaire newspaper tycoon and one of the richest of his generation. He was the inspiration for the movie Citizen Kane. Born on the 20th of February 1954, Patty, as she was known at home, was the third of five daughters born to Randolph Appersonhurst, William's fourth son. She grew up in a wealthy, leafy suburb of Hillsborough, San Francisco. She was educated in elite private schools and summered on vast family estates. Life for Patty was comfortable, very comfortable. During her childhood, Patty was teased about her appearance. Fatty Patty was a school nickname that stuck. As she got older, she had a strained relationship with her parents, disagreeing about her personal and political relationships. In 1972, she enrolled at the University of California, Berkeley. Her boyfriend and her former school tutor, Stephen Weed, received a teaching grant there 
and the pair soon moved into an apartment on campus, something her parents were not particularly happy about. From the outside, life seemed well. Patty was receiving high marks in her classes, and her and Stephen had announced their engagement. But she wasn't happy. She later claimed Stephen was controlling, and she'd considered suicide more than once. 9.20pm on the 4th of February 1974, life changed forever. Stephen and Patty were at home in their apartment in Berkeley. There was a knock at the door. When Stephen answered, three members of the Symbionese Liberation Army burst into the apartment. A struggle ensued, and Stephen was heavily beaten and eventually knocked unconscious with a wine bottle to the head. A partially closed Patty Hurst was carried kicking and screaming from the building, with a gun pointed at her head. She was thrown into a trunk of a waiting car and driven to a hideaway in the south of San Francisco. There's been a big kidnapping on the West Coast. The victim is Patricia Hurst, the daughter of newspaper executive Randolph Hurst and a granddaughter of the legendary William Randolph Hurst. Richard Threlkeld reports. Patricia Hurst is 19 and a sophomore at Berkeley. To secure Patty's release, the SLA demanded millions of dollars of food to be delivered to feed the poor of California. Patty's parents responded with $2 million worth of food for the residents of the Bay Area in San Francisco. Still, Patty was not released. Then on the 5th of April 1974, the SLA released a tape to the media. Later claiming it was scripted and she'd been forced to read it, Patty's unmistakable voice rang out on the airwaves. I renounce my class privilege and I would never choose to live the rest of my life surrounded by pigs like the Hursts. Patria o muerte, venceremos. Death to the fascist insect that preys upon the life of the people. Let's return to the Sunset District of San Francisco on the 15th of April 1974. Following the bank robbery, Patty Hurst went on the run with the SLA. They did what they could to avoid capture. Robbing innocent civilians and hiding in derelict buildings became the norm for Patty. At no point did she try to escape. She stayed and took part. In April 1975, the SLA conducted another bank robbery, this time in Carmichael, California. A mother of four, Myrna Lee Opsal, was shot and killed as she deposited church offering receipts at the bank. During the robbery, Patty sat outside in the car alone. Listening to the shots being discharged inside, she waited for the robbery to be over and then she drove the gang members away. It was in September 1975, after nearly 19 months with the SLA, that Patty Hurst was finally captured by the police. It was shortly after lunchtime in San Francisco today when FBI agents captured Patricia Hurst and three other SLA members. Bill and Emily Harris, founders of the SLA, were picked up by agents after jogging near where they lived in the city's Mission District. Not far away, agents knocked on the door of a second house. Patricia Hurst answered, Okay, you've got me, she said, and she gave up without a fight. Overjoyed at the prospect of getting her daughter back, Patty's mother, Catherine Wood Campbell, spoke to the media. Terribly happy, more happy than trepidatious. Do you have any notion what you'll say to her when you see her? I'll tell her I love her. Are there questions that you want to ask her? No questions in my mind. In the days that followed her arrest, Patty maintained her allegiance to the SLA. On the 4th of February 1976, exactly two years after the kidnapping, she was put on trial for a part in the Sunset robbery. But by this time she had changed her story. She now claimed she had been brainwashed and was in constant fear for her life. 
She claimed she was locked in a cupboard for her first 57 days with the SLA and told she could either join the cause or be killed. Her defence raised more questions than answers. Why did she not escape despite her numerous opportunities to do so? And why did she have revolutionary books about explosives and homemade bombs on her apartment bookshelf? The then-known trial of the century came to a close on the 20th of March 1976. Patty Hurst was found guilty of armed robbery and use of a firearm to commit a felony. The jury admitted they felt she was lying through and through. But after serving only 22 months, she was released following a commute by then-President Jimmy Carter. Patricia Hurst is no longer in prison tonight. We have two reports on the remarkable story of the girl who has been an heiress, a kidnapped victim, a convicted bank robber, a fugitive, a prison inmate, and now is about to become a bride. A beaming Patty Hurst greeted the waiting media with a broad smile on her face and her dark brown hair perfectly falling around her shoulders. She showed off a t-shirt beneath her jacket. The words, pardon me, had been branded across the front. Her fiancé, her ex-bodyguard, had said that for security reasons she might be wearing a bulletproof vest today. I didn't wear a bulletproof vest, but I dressed for the occasion. (laughs) I'm just really happy. Her wish was later granted. On the 20th of January 2001, President Bill Clinton issued Patty with a full pardon on his last day in office. She always maintained her innocence, a victim of Stockholm Syndrome, or what later became known as Patty Hearst Syndrome. She never stood trial for any of the other robberies or assaults committed by the SLA. She now leads a quiet suburban life, training show dogs for competition, a far cry from her days with the SLA. So the question remains, when you're faced with an extraordinary situation and your survival is at stake, how far would you go? Media Moments is brought to you by All Good Tales. There's only one way to resonate, and that's with a story. If you need to connect with your audience, we can help you. We help organisations create beautifully crafted stories through podcasts, brand newsrooms, PR, presentations and strategy. Find us on at All Good Tales on Twitter or email jack at allgoodtales.com. Media Moments can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Acasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This episode was written by me, Jack Murray. Sound supervision is by Al Dunn at Unique Media. Join us next time when we go to the small Irish town Dungarvan in 1994 and hear the story of how a priest's wish to create fear caused a media moment that would change the world forever. Music